0: Today's podcast is sponsored in part by Your Caring Law Firm in Maitland, Florida. Do your clients need a will or trust? Has someone died and your clients need help with the endless paperwork? Do you have business owner clients trying to decide how to leave the company fairly amongst your family? Contact Your Caring Law Firm where clients are so satisfied you'll look like a hero for having referred them. Your Caring Law Firm offers probate and trust administration services throughout Florida as well as estate, asset protection, and tax planning assistance. To learn more, visit yourcaringlawfirm.com.
1: Welcome to Tax Boss. I'm Crystal Woodbury in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Meryl Bailey in Orlando, Florida. We are each licensed as attorneys and CPAs. We help our clients get the best results because we work well with their trusted advisors. Tax Boss is a podcast for advisors from multiple professions to get together to discuss common client issues and
2: how we can work together to solve them. Today we're going to discuss who is my client and when a bunch of people show up, how do you know who to throw out of the room? Crystal, I'm really excited about today's topic we are going to discuss how lawyers handle when the non-client makes the appointment. So, for example, if the daughter calls to make an appointment for estate planning for her mother or a financial advisor calls and wants us to meet with one of his or her clients. And It happens all the time, Meryl. All the time. And there's so many issues with it, uh, which other advisors might not have to think through, but we do. So for example, generally we've got the good daughter and the bad son, right? So we've got the daughter who's the school teacher, who's never been any trouble to her mother whatsoever. And then we've got the 54 year old drunk son who's been living with mom for decades. And How do we know when the son makes the appointment because he's the one who drives mom all around? Is he making the appointment because he wants to bring mom to a new lawyer and not tell his sister so that mom can leave him even more money? Or is he making the appointment because he's the one who drives mom around? Right, right. And it's a lot of times not information we have ahead of time. So we put on our
1: calendar when we're setting the appointment, who called and made the appointments versus
2: who the client or potential client is going to be so that we know to flesh that out. Yes, we do too. We track who made the appointment and then we also track who they are saying is going to come to the appointment. And then when it is the appointment time, I will walk into the conference room and I will ask who's my client. And that usually puckers people right up.
1: We do the same. And sometimes there's a look of fear in people's eyes. (laughs)
2: Well, I had clients in a couple weeks ago and one daughter made the appointment and two daughters and the son showed up with mom. So mom drove herself separately, son drove himself separately, the two daughters drove themselves together. And so I walked in and I said, who's the client? And they said they all were. And I said, I didn't really think so. So I looked at the mother and I said, why are you here? And she said, I'm not quite sure. And so then the Three children started arguing about why they were there, but it did have to do with mom. So I asked the three adult children to leave the conference room, and they were appalled by that. But we hand out a brochure when we do that, and it's called Why Am I Left in the Waiting Room? And it's written by the ABA Commission on Law and Aging, and it's available on the ABA website for you to review. So we hand out that pamphlet, and, and while well, we are escorting them out the room. But this was such an interesting case because, so I send the three kids out. You know, the kids, they're all my age or older. And I look at the mother and I say, okay, so what's going on here? And she said that she had gifted in last November the family business to the two sons. Only one of them was there. Because they had grown the business and had worked there for the last 34 years. And she was leaving everything else to the daughters. And if they did the math, they would realize they were actually going to get more in the big picture. But the daughters were really upset about it for a couple reasons. They were afraid that mom wouldn't have enough money to support herself in her dotage. Now, mom was in her mid-80s and had (coughs) several million dollars. So I don't really think that was a valid concern. But they were concerned about that. So I said to the mother, well, how would you like me to handle this. And she said, well, what I really want you to do is let me leave the conference room and you talk to my three kids. (laughs) And so I did. And it was a very eye-opening conversation for the three of them. Because I kept reminding them that it was not their money, that it was the mother's money. And so then the daughters wanted to argue that the mother perhaps didn't have capacity back in November when she signed the documents. And so I asked if they had ever had any of the mother's physicians has ever mentioned that the mother didn't have the capacity to sign documents. And they said no. And so it ends up that the mother had her ear plastered to the door of the conference room trying to listen. (laughs) Katie was telling me about that later. So I finally brought the mother in and I voiced all the concerns and I voiced how much money they had. And I I made the mother say out loud that she wanted to make the gift, that she didn't have dementia, which I certainly didn't see any signs of it because she was sharp as a tack. Um, And that, you know, she was perfectly happy with what she had given the sons and she was happy with what she was giving the girls. And if she did run out of money, she understood that the girls then would inherit nothing and she was okay with that. So it was, it worked out very well, but I don't think that other professions generally have to be worried about who makes the appointment and who comes to the appointment. Right. And and maintaining confidentiality between our clients and right. the firm. Right.
1: Now, Meryl, on on that example, were you the attorney that worked with mom? It doesn't sound like you were the attorney that I was worked not. with making the gift. I was not. And I often find in my practice it's a red flag if if someone had worked with an estate planning attorney within the last couple of years. And then a family member brings them here. I to agree.
2: Documents. I agree. And it was a big flag to me because the attorney, I know the attorney that did the, you know, they brought the documents with them mm-hmm. and the attorney that had done these documents is wonderful. I mean, she's really good. So I had no doubt that she had done everything the correct way. So it was funny because one of the daughters was saying how upset the mother was the night of the gifting back in November and how distraught she was. And, you know, there was clutching of the pearls and beating of the chest. And I said, well, when you called the lawyer back in November, what did she say? And they said, oh, well, we didn't call her like, well, then how upset was she? And then they, up, they had a meeting with the lawyer. The two daughters and the two sons and the mother had a meeting in April of this year where the lawyer went through all the things, but the daughters didn't like what the lawyer was saying, so they were coming to me to so say if I would say something different. But I did not. So mom left her documents alone? Yeah. Yeah. And I also took the time to talk to her about if she was concerned about the cost of her long-term care. Right how was she planning to handle that? Because she was living alone in her own home and she was in her mid-80s. And the answer was she has a long-term care policy that pays $5,000 a month towards her activities of daily living. She doesn't need them yet, but she will. And it's one of the old policies that's really good. And then she had, you know, wealth of with two commas in it. So she had plenty of money, but I explained to her that if that was really a concern for her, that she might want to start looking at moving into a continuing care retirement community those are the ones where you buy into a unit and then you pay a monthly fee. And huh. if you run out of money later, they'll never throw you out. And I said, you know, it's a way to self insure your life forever and you get to pick instead of waiting for a crisis. And then your children are going to pick. And so the next thing I knew, that she was out looking at CCRCs and the kids were amazed. That's wonderful. And
1: another thought that comes to mind when you were talking about the two daughters are actually going to, likely received more than the two boys did from the Is especially for older clients, they tend to not share their financial information with their children. And so the daughters maybe saw that the business was gone and it alarmed them because they had no idea what their mom's wealth was. Not that it's
2: any of their business, but that a lot of times that's the driver. That's a good point. Um, And what was so compelling in this meeting was the mother, when the girl when the daughter said that they were upset that mom wouldn't have enough money to support themselves, I said, well, that's not really an attorney issue. That's a financial advisor issue. And what, does mom have a financial advisor? And they said, yes. And I said, well, what did the financial advisor say about this? And they said, oh, it was the son of one of the daughters and they had never asked him. So when I brought the mother back in the room, I said, well, there's some confusion as to what assets you have left and the value. And she picked up the phone and she dialed from memory the grandson, the financial advisor's phone number, got him on the phone, rattled off all the account numbers that she had, what money she thought she had in there. She knew what was going on. Right. You know, so there really wasn't any issue. And then she said to him, I don't think I have to worry about running out of money. And he said, no, grandma, you don't have to worry about running out of money. (laughs) And so I just looked at the two daughters. Yeah. if, If there had been more communication among the family members, they may never have ended up in your office. Yeah. There were other issues going on there. I mean, you know, when you're dealing, one of the things that's so difficult dealing with families as clients or families with clients, um, you know, a death and a little bit of money brings out the worst behaviors in people. And when there's perceived differences in the way the children are treated, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, we're talking about their, um, the baby doll they got when they were six years old and the other sister got a better thing. I mean, it, the, the burdens that people carry with them through life, the, the baggage is just amazing. amazing. Yeah. And sad, give it up. You know, yeah. we, we've, and we then, have 168 hours in a week. Don't waste yeah. them on something that happened when you were seven. And it's amazing when you flesh these out, the root of the problem is something often that happened
1: in childhood. Right. That someone just right. hasn't been able to get past.
2: Yeah. And that's um, that's something that we have to deal with a lot. But it also works when, you know, the financial advisor wants us to gives us a name and says, call this call this person. They want to make an estate plan. Well, under the Florida rules, we're not really supposed to solicit business. So we're not supposed we're not supposed to make the outgoing call. The client is supposed to contact us. Right. So, you know, that's a little awkward too. the financial advisors that don't know this or CPAs that don't know this about the Florida rules. Um, it's it's interesting. I do a seminar on occasion about ethics and about the different ethical standards for financial advisors versus CPAs versus trust officers versus attorneys. Because if you think of CPAs, for example, their ethical standard is to share information with everyone so that everyone has all the information and is working from the same playing field. That's the whole purpose of an audit. Right. Well they don't understand generally that other professions have a different ethical standard. So when an attorney says our ethical standard is to protect one person and screw everybody else, they think that attorneys are being unethical when really we are being ethical to our standards, but unethical towards theirs. And right. they don't understand that. Most professions don't understand that there are different ethical standards based on the profession, and you have to know what you're working with. So that is a an educational piece that we work with our professional
1: advisors? So, Meryl, I've had a somewhat different situation that has come up in the last couple of months. I had a mom made her own appointment. She has two daughters. She came in. We had a great initial consultation, had a follow-up meeting to work on drafting a trust agreement for her um, that said she has two daughters. Everything gets split equally between the two daughters and and there's a big age difference between the two daughters, like 15 or 16 years age difference. So we drafted the documents, scheduled an appointment for mom to come in to review the drafts, and mom brought daughter two, which is the younger of the two daughters, and daughter two's fiance, and one of them including included in the draft review process because daughter two was the successor trustee. So mom wanted her to understand what the trust agreement said. Very and not even have those meetings oftentimes. with the trustee after the trust agreement is signed. But this one after consultation with the mom alone, and and I explained to her the upside and downside of including daughter two and her fiance in the conversation. Um, Mom wanted daughter two involved. So we went through all the draft documents. A couple days after that meeting, mom calls and uh, wants to change the drafts and substantially increase what daughter two is receiving over daughter one. So it's no longer equal between the two. Uh, Daughter two is receiving what will essentially be two thirds of her estate and daughter one would get one third of the estate. We're still in the middle of this. We actually have a follow-up appointment for the mom to come in face-to-face to to talk about this. I haven't drafted the changes, but it makes me wonder what were the conversations daughter two and her fiance had with mom after that draft review process. Who's going to drive mom to
2: that new appointment? mom is coming to
1: the new appointment on her own. We've told her on her own. We've told her daughter can't be in the appointment with
2: us. Yeah. We've actually hired cabs for clients on occasion to make sure that the, they don't get driven by the child we're trying to discuss. Yeah. Um, So hopefully mom does show up on her own. She's, she's
1: capable of getting here on her own. She's not elderly or incapacitated in my opinion, by any means. Daughter, too, also recently moved in with mom. So that adds another wrinkle yeah. to it and to the conversations and and where we go from there.
2: Well, and it's so really hard because, you know, 99.9% of the time, we're dealing with loving family members who are generally trying to help. But every now and then there's that bad seed that we've got to really watch out for. Or just because the children don't agree with how the parent spends their time or money doesn't mean that the parent is wrong. Right. It's their money. It's their money. It's their time. They can do what they want to with it. And and adult children forget that sometimes. Yes. Yes. So, Meryl, we often have advisors who
1: call to make estate planning appointments for their clients. And sometimes it's more convenient for the client to meet at the advisor's office rather than coming out to our office. And we do set up those appointments. How has your experience been when you've had to request the advisor leave the room when we're meeting with what
2: he perceives or she perceives as their client in their office? Well, generally, we work with the advisors and in advance, they know what to expect. So where we have learned in the past uh, to avoid some of the choke points is we get the client's contact information and we send out our client package like we normally would as if they were going to meet in our office, and we take control of the appointment on our end. And it just so happens that I will be meeting at their, you know, the advisor's facility or at the client's home with the advisor there. Right. I also make sure that the advisor knows in advance that I'm going to be asking them to step out for a moment so I can ask the client if they want the advisor to be in there. Because I've found a couple of times, particularly with financial advisors, clients might have money with a different advisor that they haven't told this advisor about, and they don't really want to talk about that money in front of this advisor. Right. and But we need to know what they have all over, because how can you do an estate plan for people, which an estate plan is leaving your money to someone, if you don't know what money they have or where? So exactly. that can be a little awkward.
1: Yes. Um, I have been fortunate. I have not yet had a bad experience with a financial advisor who hasn't understood why I've asked him or her to leave the meeting and they have gotten up. Some just expect it. Some have us start the meeting without them, even if it's in their office and just request that we let them know when we're ready for for the advisor to enter the room. I also think it's important to set the stage, like you had said, with the advisor ahead of the meeting and just give them a heads up early in the meeting, I'm going to be asking you to step out. Here's why.
2: Yeah, because the advisors know that we're trying to bring out the best result for the client. That's why they invited us in. Right. And so we both have the same goal in mind. It's just our, our ethical standards are a little different than that for the financial advisor and the CPA. So we have to help with that. Right, right. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we talked about identifying who the client is and why that is so important. Let us know what you think of this idea. Please contact us at taxbosspodcast.com. In our next podcast,
1: we are going to discuss divorce and the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. We'll give you an analysis of maintenance and tax deductions, including personal exemptions
2: under the new law. Until next time, I'm Meryl Bailey. And I'm Crystal Woodbury. Thanks for joining us. Go dazzle your clients like a tax boss.
0: Today's podcast is sponsored by the Law Center in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. The Law Center is a full-service, multi-office law firm serving clients in Colorado, Nebraska, and Kansas. Do your clients need a will or trust or simply a review of their existing estate planning docs? Has someone died and your client needs help maneuvering through the trust administration or probate process? Do your business owner clients have the documents in place to ensure a smooth transition of the business? Contact the Law Center and let us help you help your clients. The Law Center offers probate and trust administration services throughout Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska, as well as estate, asset protection, and tax planning assistance. To learn more, visit thelawcenterpc.com.